What's going on, everybody? This is Smack. And Zach Talk. Welcome to our second of we don't know how many uh, podcast, vodcast, whatever weird word you want to use to describe our Circadian's Chaos Order Game Design Diary. How are you doing today, Zach? Yeah, I'm doing pretty well. It's been a good Sunday. It's Monday for you, though. It is Monday. It's nice and early, uh, but that's that's great. It's good to get the week off to a good start. Now, in the weekend, something something arrived at my door, and it was this bad boy. Like, like you can see how big it is. I've got a big head, and you can see, if you're watching, how big this box is. So that that was very exciting. I got to play the game for the first time with the, well, as close to final as can be, pre-production uh copy of the game and it was a blast i tell you so so the game used to have a board that was the same size as the architects of the west kingdom board which which isn't a small isn't a small board but uh it was for this game and so i'm quite used to playing with these little pieces trying to fit them all into a hex and it's quite fiddly but now we've got this beast look at this this is this is just two of the six sixth of the board so it, it really does go massive um i'm not going to show all of that because it's just going to be a nightmare but i'm i'm excited i'm excited and so it feels like the right day to be talking more chaos order so what are we going to talk about today zach yeah i thought um we could talk about the main actions or talk through the different phases of the game and and maybe not so much going to the rules of them because uh, you can read the rule book, but maybe talk about why, what happened, how we came up to ended up with those actions, and um, and also talk about the research, how that works because it's um, it's integral to the actions. It's completely tied into the action system, so we can maybe get a bit into that. Yeah, the research system was one of these like really. It seems so obvious this this really nice find that I, and it's not that unique but at the same time i'm not sure there's another game that has done it the exact same way um which is really just so simple and we will get into it soon but but what i thought we would do is we would talk a little bit about um the initial mechanism how how the rounds used to progress when we when we first started um so last week we talked about the the pricing mechanism and so you know players would price an action to see how much other players would be willing to pay for it um and that was originally done with a with a card draft so we had you know like citadel style so only one person has got the cards at the time so the first player would look through all five actions and they might decide i want to price move so they would take the move card they'd pass the the cards around to the next player at this time everyone just had a die which one to six nice and simple once everyone had chosen their their actions then they would all reveal and set the dice value without looking at everyone else and that would depict um the price um but one thing that was interesting and that i really liked about this at the time was that the the uh order of the actions was dynamic like it could change so we could start the round with movement and then we would move into harvest and then recruit like it could just be any uh any order and that added like another layer of strategy to to the decision making with the draft um but there were a few reasons why we ended up culling it do you remember what they were zach or i might i might weigh in after oh. after well i think it's pretty obvious man if you move i mean how our combat system works which we'll get into as well and how our harvesting works and stuff like that. It doesn't work well when two people are in the same hex. Like, people need to be in the same hex only after the move phase. So when you're moving at the beginning and then there was the harvest going on, it's like, well, whose territory is that? Is it no one's territory? So maybe the person was planning to harvest from that territory, but then move comes before them, the person moves in, and you can't harvest from there anymore. No one can. So you're like, well, that just ruined all my plans for... Like, it doesn't feel right, it doesn't feel fair. So I think, you know, that's one of the, the really 
obvious ones or or the same with building like you couldn't build in the in the hex that you were planning on building in or at that point they weren't hexes so yeah that's right <laughs> we can talk about the map as well my oh, terribly drawn map. map yeah <laughs> god bless shem for that that was awesome um so yeah that that's that's totally right and what was a really interesting and crunchy dynamic um and what I think is actually could be really cool is you're not just drafting these powers, but you're drafting the order that these powers will be revealed. It felt like for us to make that work, we had to add a whole bunch of rules. Like, how does harvest work when there are multiple people, multiple people in the same region? Um, same with build. Like, who gets to build there? Do we just say no one can? Um, and, and so all of these rules that we would have to add to the game just didn't feel like they justified their their existence they weren't worth they weren't worth putting in there for what was already quite a complex game because of all the asymmetry going on and how long it is you know so we realized that actually a set order would would be the best way to do it um it'd be the best way for players to learn as well and we could kind of doctor the most natural order the most interesting order for the game uh but there was another reason that we culled the draft and i guess it still is sort of a draft um but you're not actually picking and holding these cards it just took considerably longer like it just had that downtime i think i don't know if it's when you pass the cards around or when people were planning on pricing simultaneously but it took a while um, I'm not sure if it's about time, Sam, but more about perception as well. Because if you're waiting for closed information to be revealed or you're waiting for the cards to be passed for you, it seems like it's taking a long time. Whereas now, obviously, it is a draft, but it's all open information. So you see the first person places on an action, and now you're planning because you're going, okay, I can't pick that action. What am I going to pick? Okay, he priced it as... Uh, you know, two to him and two to the bank. So I will be able to do that action. Uh, you know, so every person that's placing, you're planning out your round as that's happening. So you are participating. So I don't know if the time is actually a lot different, but definitely the perception of that time is different. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. I think you that's spot on. Really, really well made. Uh, okay, so now we'll go into like, so what is it now? How does it work now? Um, and I will just use this prop. that you prepared earlier so um i can't see too much zach did you want to run through so i maybe with my finger i can point out these big these big squares yes this is just two so, actions yeah so um those squares are where we're placing our pricing tokens now um one thing that was kept from the dice is that the pricing tokens total values go from one to six so there there's something that that carried on from the dice um, each of the tokens, as we already said um, in the last podcast, will have a, a number of energy that you need to give to the player and a number of energy that you need to give to the bank. You place it onto that gray square and you've blocked it off. And that's your action. And other people have to pay you to do it. As you could see on the second action, build, there's a little gem with a plus on it. And if you place onto build, you get a gem. Um, you couldn't see it, but further down on Recruit, there's uh, two energy if you place onto Recruit. And on Move, you have the choice to choose to be the first person to move or the last person to move. If you choose to be the first person to move, you gain a card. So as you can see, even there in the pricing phase, there's, um, there's a few things going on. Do you pick an action that's going to give you resources? Um, because you, you need those resources for the round, or do you pick another action because it's more important to you? Yeah, yeah, totally right. So we've got this order, which we landed on. Research, build, harvest, recruit, move. So why did we land on this order? Well, we'll start with the research, and, and I'll start with how the research actually works. Um, so, so I'll just hold this up again. And each player, for each of the actions, even though I'm only showing uh, two actions, I'm only showing the top two, discover and build, each player has their own marker on these starting spots here in the middle of the track, okay? And it'll just be their color, and every player's got one. 
and that is going to tell you how powerful you are at that action so when you take discover you're just going to look you're going to look to the right and see or or here it looks like it's left but you look to the right and see what you get when you discover so build is a great example for the first two slots you're getting to build one building that's what that icon means but if you make it to the third spot you can build two build buildings when you take that action and right at the end you can build three buildings so players are getting uh, more and more efficient at these actions and all you need to do is you just look to the right of where the action um, is was priced and you can see um, your strength at it so this gives players a whole bunch of agency right i love research i love players being able to advance their tech but i love them being able to opt into whichever direction whichever path they want to take um what were some of our goals with this research zach well um one really clear goal is um we wanted each of the tracks to be tempting we didn't want there to just be one obvious track that you should do and that's going to win you the game we wanted every track to be viable if possible for every single faction um and maybe you know there's one or two factions where they maybe prefer three of the tracks a little bit more than the other two but i still think in those cases the other tracks are still viable even if you know they might not be the most obvious but there are strategies that you can do boosting those tracks that actually can work um and and that was key for us because essentially you're giving people more agency you're giving people um more strategic options because being such an asymmetric game um really the research track does something really interesting because the research track is the same for everyone but because everyone's factions are different the way that those actions interact with the powers of the faction um can be really interesting you know uh for example uh ai when they recruit they only need one recruitment point to get their units out so what does that mean that means you can boost up your recruit and get all your units out really quickly and swarm the map but it also means another thing it means you can keep up with other people's recruiting without having to boost recruit very much so maybe you boost up you know um harvest and you gain a lot of cards so that you can then go and um, and win battles or wound enemy troops. So the thing is, is, you, is it's not linear. Like maybe the obvious thing when your AI is to boost your boost your recruit, but actually it's not necessarily the best thing to do. Um, there's actually many ways you can you can use those faction powers to work around the recruit track and create a strategy that works for you. Yeah. Yeah, that's totally right. So are you going to take the advantage? Are you going to double down on where you are naturally strong? Or are you going to say, yep, I'm naturally strong here, so I'm going to try and catch up in other areas where I'm weak. And and both ways are viable, and players can experiment with this. Um, one of the factions is Scaro, and, and their, their goal is to max out all of their research. So they want to get, um, there's, there's, what, four possible movements that you can do on each of the five tracks and so they want to get 20 research basically um and so this is the same goal each game and you might think well same goal is it going to feel the same well there are so many ways you can go about it not only many ways they can get the research but when you get it what are you going to boost so are you going to be the the building scarrow and and what you'll realize is the early game research is going to be the thing that defines your strategy now you can have a balanced approach but you don't have to so you can go for a, a really bully type scarrow and i've seen you do it really well zach is well naturally you know scarrow want to gain research and often they don't have to fight too many battles but zach just says no to hell with it i'm going to max out my movement first and i'm going to hunt down all your buildings destroy your buildings which give me research and that's quite unconventional like that's not people's instinctive way of playing them but it works and it feels different for the player if they take that avenue rather than a different one so yeah that was one of the goals was yes we want to give players agency we want each of the tracks to be tempting um there are times when it's like you know you should be boosting move 
but man you really want that extra energy from harvest you know and and it's like uh, should i be a good boy <laughs> and boost move or or actually do i um just do the thing that i really want to do and and so players yeah do that i think um another another objective was to make both a balanced upgrading approach and maximizing one or two tracks both options are viable yeah so you can go like i'm just going to go hard on one track because the reward at the top of that track like how good it makes the action is really good and it could be like really vital to your strategy but it's also viable to just boost each of the tracks one or two spots um and and that's that's basically what we wanted this this research track to be is like build your own strategy you know like i i really um love games that give you those kind of options where you are able to um yeah really create the engine that's going to drive your game and the research track for me does that like every game i'm like what am i going to do this time you know sometimes i'm at, at night literally like the other night i was thinking about um i was thinking about a strategy to to boost uh with Larian, one of the factions, to boost their attributes in the first round. And I was thinking, you know, what would be the best attribute to boost in the first round? How would you do it? How would I get all the research in the first round? Like, would I have to move last or, or could I... Would, would it be possible to boost two attributes in the first round? Sorry, I think I'm hitting the table, so I'm making noise. But, you know, like, the, the way that this research track can interact with these factions makes you think about how can i play that faction differently how can i use the research to to do something completely different with that faction yeah and one of the things i think that goes without saying is it's a four four hour game ish like it could go longer it could be shorter but you want your round one not only to be different from your round six but even from round two you really do need to grab that sense of progression in the game like it needs to be in there um it's exciting for the players now of course, round two is going to be different based on the opponent's decisions, but also you want to have that feeling of your engine, your economy starting to run smoother and smoother and smoother, um, or maybe regretting the decisions that you made on the research. And, and one of the ways, so Zach said, we tried to make them all, you know, roughly quite appealing. One of the ways we did that is um, along the middle where you move your marker. For some, for some of these tracks, there might be thresholds where it would feel like it was too strong to get an extra build point right now. Um, you hadn't you hadn't invested enough research to be able to do that. So what we might do is give something immediately for moving onto that area. So we can give uh, the res the discover track is a great example where you only get to gain two research once you're right at the end. So at the start of the discover track, it's one research. The next three spots, it's one research. And then you get to the end and it's two research boom you know but to compensate to uh, encourage players to move along that track is we give you a ton of immediate resources for moving along um, so there's that was one of the ways to kind of uh, to boost the, the i don't know the, the appeal yeah. of these actions as well as the auxiliary action system and i don't know if we've gone into the auxiliary action system but each each of the tracks each of the actions you have the primary action which maybe i'll maybe i'll show this um and you can explain it zach for those who are cool. watching so your primary action is the action that you get to do for free if you price it and other people get to do for free if they pay for it and as you can see here's move so along the the top you see the two three four with the flag that's how many moves you get to do if you pay for the action or if you price the action now below there's another action which has uh, minus five energy and then it has a symbol which is upgrading your leaders so you have an optional uh, second action that you can do and it always comes after you do the first action so you have to move before you upgrade your leader or in the other actions you have to do the primary action before the auxiliary um, and it's something that you can choose to do or not if you've got the resources to do it all of them cost so uh they're never free um unless you're oxitea but I was, you know you can find out about that for yourselves um and you know if you're doing really well that round if you've got a lot of resources you need to decide generally you can't do all of them in a round 
So you're normally deciding, do I want to recruit another leader? Do I want to upgrade a leader? Do I want to buy a gem? Do I want to build an extra building? Because um, the auxiliary action for build is the possibility to build an extra building. Um, so there's a lot of decisions to be made in terms of where I want to spend my resources, even if I'm feeling rich, like I've got enough to pay for all the actions, but I don't have enough to pay for all the auxiliary actions generally. Yeah. And so what there is, what there is in this game is there's kind of two, two ways of being rich. You can be re oh, three, I guess, um, you can be resource rich, but you could also be research rich and one doesn't necessarily mean the other. And there's also, you know, map presence rich, I guess, um, which is maybe a stretch. But so what this what this auxiliary action system allowed was for us to say, right, there are people who are resource rich. They are, for whatever reason, they are playing their economy really nicely. And this is a chance for players to leverage that. We, we've given some what we called like luxury items into the game. So you, you shouldn't expect that you can always recruit a leader. That's expensive. You, you shouldn't expect that you can upgrade that leader over to their armored side but it's that goal that's kind of in front of you that you know that if you play your economy right if you price this action the right way maybe you get a good harvest then you should be able to afford that when it gets to the movement or, or whatever it is you're trying to do and i think that's fun so as well as players who who are doing really well with research you could kind of not do too much research hold on to your energy and buy these big ticket items instead so that there are multiple ways of kind of feeling like you have a big economy um feeling like you are rich so to speak okay, yeah i think so a third type of i think a third type of richness is when you have attributes upgraded because yeah. you could be poor but you are powered up as a faction so there's a few different ways that you can be powerful the scariest is when someone's powerful in all of those ways yeah yeah that's right or, or there is even the fame richness as well. Like, I have the advantage currently on, on the victory point type, you know, track. Uh, so that means what? Like, people are going to start, you know, trying to bring me down. Um, but, you know, I can take the tempo as well. So, so Yeah, it's like a tempo advantage. What started this conversation, and we kind of got sidetracked, but I think it was an important sidetrack, was we were going to talk about the actions and... and what they are and why they are where they are so having explained discover which is the research action um the reason that that's at the start is well it's at the start of the round and you get to see which of your actions you want to make stronger for the rest of the round it just kind of has this natural place right there you could boost just feels good yeah yeah you're just planning for the round okay where am i getting my buff for this round which ends up being for the, all future rounds but but you kind of think about this round you kind of think about the tactical play um you could boost discover and get extra resources that you will need to be able to pay for the, the future actions you could boost harvest you could boost build whichever so then we move down i to would say i would say another thing is that it makes round one much more dynamic as well if we had put research if we would put discover later in, on in the round or at the end of the round um the round one game would not be as dynamic you'd have to wait to round two until things get interesting but already round one someone can upgrade their move and and do something crazy you know someone can um do a combo uh maybe combo research or get research from a building and research from discover and already grab one of the special harvest tokens which uh you can find out about as well but there's there's quite a few nice things that you can do in round one that otherwise would would be impossible and round one would definitely be more boring yeah it's, it sort of reminds me of um terra mystica which is my you know my favorite game where in round one the the, th the thing that excites me about the game is what you're going to do in round one like how you're going to set up your economy who's going to get that big double dig action th those sorts of things it's just so exciting and with this with that research yeah you can put it in multiple different places if I see someone boosting move in round one, I'm scared. Like, I'm thinking they've got plans. They're going to come and attack me, you know? If they boost recruit and they price recruit and they price it high, they're saying, I don't want anyone else to recruit. I'm getting so much more out of this than you are because the initial step on, on recruits only two recruit points, which isn't a lot. 
and the first boost goes to four um they're saying look you're not you don't want to pay five energy for this recruit action that's only going to give you two troops but i'm going to add four troops so i'm plus four on you you know because you didn't do it and i'm going to get a massive yeah. i'm going to get a massive strength advantage on the map you know yeah. like superior numbers of troops so yeah, yeah so there's, really there's lots of really interesting stuff yeah so then we move down to build so build is the second action why is this a second action and and what does build even do i think build uh why it's the second action it needed to be before harvest because uh well it didn't need to be but it feels the best before harvest because harvest relies on buildings um harvest gives you energy just straight energy but it also gives you the chance to harvest from the territories to harvest from the territories you need to have a foundry one of the types of buildings on the territory um and so having build before harvest allows you to build on the hex where you want to harvest if you have presence there if you have units there you can build on it to be able to harvest from it uh so it just lines up really nicely and one of the things I was just thinking about now, and this might be like sacrilege or whatever, but if we had to design the game with one fewer action, it might be built. And and the reason I say that, and then and then I'm gonna and then I'm gonna push back against this argument and tell you why build is awesome, okay? But I'm just gonna set it up. Um, the reason I say that is okay. So we've got three different building types, and that's quite a few rules. You have to learn what all of them do. There's two building types, and then each person's got a stronghold. Each faction's got a stronghold, which is unique to them. So there's really eight different buildings for players to learn about. Then we've got this foundation system. So not only you can't just build on a on a region; you have to build on top of a foundation. And so sometimes you need to build the foundation first. And I think that's quite cool. I don't know if I've seen that in too many games. I think there are games where it's like effectively the same thing where you like clear out the rubble you do like an action to remove stuff and then you can build on top um but we wanted this this actually gives the the building ramp a bit more dynamic um so players can't snowball and just drop 50 buildings down on the map they have to actually get the foundations um, and one of the nifty things about the foundations also is that the relics when they spawn on the map they spawn on top of um the a foundation so each region has a foundation but six of them at the start are covered by relics and so when these relics are collected each round that's freed up a foundation for the for someone to be able to build on which kind of opens up the map in a, in a really sweet way um, as the game progresses uh, but i was talking about the building so it's it's more rules it's more things for players to remember um and yeah, they have to do something on the map, and we also wanted them to do something on the player board. But also, they aren't like if you if you're thinking about the bare bones of a dudes on a map battle game, buildings can't move, um, so they're not as necessary as having fighters and that sort of thing. And and so those are some of the arguments against building, but we wanted more ways for players well this is one of the things more ways for players to express agency so they can express agency in how they research research buildings they can express agency in how they boost their economy this is a, a third way to boost your economy because each of your buildings that are built are going to be revealing income that you're going to gain in the income phase and so this allows you to opt into cards if you build your outposts, which are like the the two strength, they, they're effectively like two fighters standing on the ground that can't move. Um, you get cards from them. If you build your foundries, as Zach has explained, you can harvest on those regions, but you also get energy in the income phase. And if you build your strongholds, you'll get gems in the income phase. As well as the strongholds are a really really cool way of giving each of the factions one more shiny thing that only they can do like there already is the three attributes or four there's already the three leaders uh but let's say hey here's a building that is specific to you this this is unique to you and only you get this power with these buildings so and it, and it did allow us for some factions to give them a bit of a hand with their win condition 
circadians being circadians and Larian being a really really good example um but yeah I'm, I'm interested to to hear your take on building zach why are they good and um why did we put them in there yeah um just quickly want to ask are you hearing any feedback when you're talking because my headphones stopped working so if you're not hearing anything i'll just uh run without to... headphones uh, hello, hello. No, I'm not hearing any feedback. We're good. Cool. Whether you want to edit this out or not. So, yeah, I, I had a few things to say. I think buildings are, are great because they add strategic complexity to the game. And maybe that is is proving your point, Sam, that they're maybe not, they're not strictly bare bones necessary. But they add so much in terms of like planning out your turn, um, where you're going to get your resources from, how you're going to chain your actions together, um, the like the foundation that you build. So um, you know, foundations give you permanent powers, uh, most of them. That lots of them buff your buildings, and so the foundations that you've built really change how your buildings function on the map and the powers that they give you and I've had so many games where I'm like oh man if I just built that foundation I would have enough move points to be able to do the thing that I want to do you know like there, there's so many important choices in terms of buildings and if they were just the buildings I think you know it'd be a good system that works with the foundations there's just so much variety and complexity in how you can play your building strategy and you can just like it is totally viable to just go full in on buildings and and just have heaps of them like go up that building track um because you get, you just get so so many resources I, I remember sam doing it in some games where he just went hard on the building track as Dreyek, who's uh, a character who's a who's a faction that wants to come and smash people in, in the face basically and instead of doing that, Sam in the first rounds was just going hard on buildings, just like building up this this beast of an economy. And then like in round three and four, he was coming and he was scary. And, you know, I remember that game he, he won, a game I'm thinking about in particular. Um, so once again, it is, it is a super viable way to play the game. And the way that, as you said, it hooks into the, how some different factions work. Um, one really important thing that buildings do, I think, which without it, the game would be much worse, um, is that they allow you to get your troops out onto the map quicker because the outpost allows you to move with one movement from your base to the outpost. So if you can have the four planning to move out onto the map and build an outpost, it makes your movement so much easier because when you recruit, all your units are coming to base. If you capture a relic, all your units are going back to your base. If you don't have move points, getting back out into the map, getting into good positions on the map can be really, you just don't have enough move points to do it. You can't get all your units out. Whereas if you have your outpost out there, or alternatively, there's a foundation that gives you the possibility to move to any of your buildings as if they were outposts. If you um, have that, there's just so much more that you can do in your move phase than you could have done otherwise. Um, and, and yeah, I think if that wasn't in the game, I think the move would be really frustrating or we might have had to give more move points, but then that would have stuffed up a whole bunch of balance. And, um, yeah, I think that that fact is, is vital. And then, obviously, with these strongholds, it just gave us another lever to pull with the factions, which is just... I think it's yeah. fun having more unique stuff for each faction, more things to make it feel like I want to try this out. And some of the, the, the faction buildings are really interesting and fun, thinking like particularly of AI whose building is a trap. It creates a trap on the on the hex. So if someone to move into it has to lose one of their fighters to be able to move into that hex. Now, one thing you can do as AI is you can just run into like really important hexes put down your your main building because you know people are going to need to run through there you know people are going to have to go through there to, to go where they want to go 
Um, and if you can manage to defend those, they can give you, you know, one wound per round for a while, and, and that really helps you with your victory, um, with your fame objective, because you're just kind of getting that passive uh, fame income, shall we say. Yeah. I, I love extreme strategies in games. Um, yeah. Now, this is not a thing that everyone loves, and this is not the most balanced thing, but I love if someone plays Architects of the West Kingdom, and they can grab 20 debts. Like, why stop at 4 or 5? Grab 20. And they can flip them all, and then they build the money lender, which gives them points for flip debts. And they do really, really well. I love those sorts of extremes. I love if it's possible. Yeah. Now, there's a there's a downside to that, is that maybe they just end with negative 40 points because they didn't have time to flip those debts. But I love that risk. I love players going for these extreme, like these talking points after the game because it's memorable it's it's so exciting and again it brings out that agency right and so you've already yeah. talked about how you know we wanted the extremes on the research to be viable like someone could just go max all their movement and not do anything else now they might run out of recruits to move but but maybe maybe it's viable the thing we can do with buildings is the same thing like i could build all of my outposts and just have a handful of cards and just play down the cards because they're multi-use, play them down for their economy and play them down in battle and just, just spam out these cards. We allow players to balance their own economy to their to their needs with the buildings. This is, this is a cool way of doing it. Um, and each of the buildings themselves, they only cost one build point, so they don't get more expensive the more that you've got. There are a few prohibitive gem locks, which is an extra cost of a gem, for some of the we can maybe talk about that in in general, Sam, because that's one of the ways that we have balanced some of the the more powerful things. Because, for example, some of the leaders are, are stronger than others. Um, some of the leaders flipped over are stronger than another leader flipped over. Some of the buildings, you know, like are slightly stronger than the other ones, or they're slightly stronger for a particular faction. Or some of the foundations are more powerful for, for a particular faction. So um, our way to balance that out was what we call a gem lock, where to be able to build that foundation that's really powerful for your faction, you don't just invest that build point, you also have to pay a gem. Or to upgrade that leader who's really powerful upgraded, you don't just pay the cost to upgrade the leader, you also have to pay a gem. Now, um, obviously, this gave us that ability to make the buildings make the um, the research the leaders make everything work for every faction because yeah. otherwise just for some factions some things would have been too too good for what you were paying basically yeah and, and we've specified you know the gem locks for specific buildings and specific foundations for the factions and I often say to new players hey look those gem locks they're gonna frustrate you because you're needing to pay gems because those are the things you want. So this is actually a way of directing players and say, the things that are gem locked are the things that you want. Okay, so if you can if you can fund them, if you can get the gems to be able to get them, that's actually going to be a really good strategy for you. It's the things that that faction naturally want to do, and it's cool that kind of without us trying too much, they have ended up being different types of buildings, you know, and and they have their own niche for different factions. The final thing I'll say before we move off buildings is they allow players to hold a region and move away from it. So you can move yeah. your force off a region and leave a building there. And that is actually so, so key for for the game. Um, it means you can spread and it means you can turtle uh, without losing access to the harvest of that region, from the income from that region. Um and, and I think that's that's really great. But sometimes you don't want to leave a building exposed because, yes, you can defend it, but they don't naturally defend themselves too well. I mean, we have seen some games where a zero-strength foundry beat uh, a seven-strength leader um, because the leader was greedy. Didn't and they play played, any cards. They played one <laughs> strength down, and the building managed to add nine strength. Like That's the maximum you could possibly add, but it happened, and it was cool. And that person learned their lesson. Um, and that was that was actually a really fun moment for the game. It might have, it sounds like it could be frustrating, but it was a really memorable moment. Imagine the person with the building, how, how awesome they felt about that play. It was really cool.
but it, it's not like I think I mentioned that, and this may be in the last um, podcast or in another podcast that we did. Um, it's not actually like it might be frustrating for the player, but it's actually just his own fault because um, the cards go up to five strength, the dice go up to four strength. That's nine strength. So, so you know that technically, even if it's not likely, maybe it's like a five percent chance the person could could add nine strength. So if you're playing down one strength, you're risking, you know, it might only be, you know, you might still have a 95% chance, but you've got that 5% chance of losing. Um, and so you know that when you're doing that. So it's your own fault when you lose. You might be like, dang, I was unlucky, but like you, you there wasn't a guaranteed win. Whereas if you played down the card, you made it, uh, you locked it up, the, the victory playing a, a three strength card, then, you know, that's not going to happen. So yeah, so yeah. So after build, so we've got our discover, then we've got build, then we've got harvest, and and harvest just naturally slots in the middle. There are two actions before it, two actions after it. Um, the two actions before and after, in general, are going to cost you energy. They are going to net lose you energy because you're paying the other players for the action unless you priced it. Uh, you might be paying energy for an auxiliary action, things like that. And so this is a way to mid-round for, for players to gain energy back, to be able to afford to move, to be able to afford to recruit. And so, so often you do need to do that harvest action to make sure that you can move. Um, that, that explains, I think, really, really quickly and easily why harvest is where it is. Is there it anything helps you want brain. to say about harvest? Yeah, I think it's just like a, a brain crutch because trying to calculate your whole round like is difficult now being able to be like okay i'm going to gain energy there just helps you so much and and it was just really it, it feels nice and i think a lot of the things you want in a game like this even though you know it's a combat game right and so there might be moments where, where things don't feel nice because someone's being mean to you and attacking you but we generally want everything to feel good and to feel like right you know it just feels right having harvest there just feels right because it, it gives you those resources then to spend on your recruiting and your moving which are really important then for the the battle phase for the the important kind of area control parts of the game um and it just yeah it gives you that that mid mid uh, action rounds uh boost um, I think the other thing that it does is it gives value to to regions. I think it does this maybe in a slightly um, minor way because obviously there's three types of of resource that can be harvested. There's the cards, there's the gems, and there's two energy. Now, sometimes that can be important because maybe you're in an area that you you don't have any card harvest and you really want them. So you want to go and, and, and place down a foundry on a hex that has a card harvest. So that that is important. Um, there are ways to play around it so it's not vital. But another thing that can happen is that people get the special um, harvest tokens, which you get as an instant reward on the harvest track when you get to the, the third spot. So researching it twice. And they basically have just better harvests. Uh, a whole bunch of really interesting harvests and you can place them on your base so you can be safe but you can also place them on the map because some factions actually on their base have a decent harvest so they can be really greedy and place it out on the map now if that's out on the map other players can come in and take over that region and start harvesting from that token and we've seen that happen uh, several times um, and so that can add value to the area control, like certain hexes being more valuable. And, and I think that is important. Like it, it helps the map be more interactive. The map feel more unique every time as well. Yeah. Because also the, um, when there's more than two players, there's a slight variable setup where um, Three hexes get added for each player, and they get placed out in the same three spots, but in a randomized order. And they have the three different types of harvest on them. So that means that 
the same thing to harvest is not going to be in the same spot every time. So the map can be quite varied. Um, and, and I think that's important. It makes every play feel, feel different. Yeah. So a few of the things with, with harvest was one, we wanted the harvest to sort of feed into build and build to feed into harvest. And that's why we made the harvests, um, apart from your base, which is originally had a built in foundry, you place the, the foundry there. Now we just say you can always harvest from your base. Apart from that, you do need the foundries to be able to harvest or the foundation, which allows you to harvest with other buildings. That's a, that's a nice way of feeding into building and saying, right, this is this is important. This is something that you want to do, um, especially if you're trying to boost your economy. Um, to go back to Zach's point around those unique little harvest or production tiles, I can't remember their name. Um, production tokens, I, I can't Yeah, but. something like that. This was just another way, and we've already explained that we like this, of allowing people to have agency over how they want to build their engine, how they want to boost their economy. And each time it's different. And this is one where there's a fair bit of denial. Like you might see, right, I want to get to that one first. But the crazy thing is like each game there might be different ones in the contention. There isn't always like, this is the obvious, you must go for this one. Sometimes you want to get the extra recruit points. Sometimes you want the research. It's it's kind of intriguing. Um, and I think th maybe the last thing, and we'll move on from Harvest, but a really important thing, uh, the way that this game progressed was, we originally had players harvesting, they, they gained one energy per region uh, that they controlled. And why we wanted something like this in the game was we wanted holding regions to be, uh, to be worthwhile, right? We rewarded. wanted players to be rewarded for holding regions. That's something that happens in lots of these area control games. It's something that, yeah, players should do and it's, they should be rewarded for it. Um, well, it's because an early problem we ran into was people just globbing their army up on one hex and just moving around and attacking. We're like... That's not like we want. We want that to be possible in some circumstances to maybe be a good play, but we don't want everyone to be doing that all the time because it's not a fun game. Yeah, but but what? Uh, from my memory, one of the things I think that started happening was the players that held all those regions. They were already doing well militarily, and now they had the best economy because they were just pulling in all these resources. And so this was a tough was a challenge snowball. for us to, to fix because we did want to reward that holding of regions. And, but we realized that there was an issue with the snowball. So we moved um, the harvest to just a flat value. And the more you move up the, the track, the more you invest into your harvest, the more energy you're going to get. Uh, and then we moved this incentive to hold regions somewhere else. And this was, this was an awesome moment when we thought of this. This was adding like another layer to the game. We already had, I think, maybe maybe we didn't even have this. We had ways players could break the game. And I'm not sure if we had them as they attribute weren't, cards. They weren't attribute cards. They were written on the player board, just the powers that the, that the, yeah. that the faction had. So basically, I, I don't even remember exactly when or how it happened, but... But we came up with these attribute cards so that every faction just had these cards that gave their their different faction powers basically but each of them had another side had a flip side which was more powerful and so um i mean we can probably we're probably going to talk more about the asymmetry and maybe get into more details about some of the factions but basically uh we made it so that holding six regions will let you flip one of these Holding eight regions, well, that you flip two of these, and basically they they allow you to also um, customize the asymmetry of your faction because you already start with powers, but you can choose which ones you want to to increase their power, uh, what kind of strengths of your faction you want to to lean into more, because um, it's not. It's not normal that you get to flip all of them in a game unless you're doing super well. Like you might get to flip one. Sometimes you don't even get to flip any. But that choice when you get those six regions, you're like, oh, which one should I flip? Oh, look at what they do. It, it's a really good feeling. And um, and as I was saying before, sometimes I lay in bed at night saying like, oh, 
if I could flip one first round, which would be the best one to flip? Which one would I want to flip? You know, and also there we tried to make all of them tempting and viable. Um, and so, yeah, just giving that agency, giving that that sandboxiness uh, in a way. It's not sandbox, but giving giving those ways that you you get to choose how you want to play your fiction. You get to choose how you want to research them. You get to choose the leaders that you're putting out, which leaders you're upgrading. You get to even choose how uh, which attributes you're going to upgrade, what player powers you're upgrading in the game. Mm, yeah, you can. Uh, this is just the theme. You can express yourself. We love asymmetry and we love agency, both of those things. So it felt like we solved that issue where Harvest was now as strong as you wanted it to be and wasn't dependent on your map presence. So there are some players, and I think it's fun, that just like turtling and that like holding two regions, two, three regions. And you can do this. You can boost your Harvest and you can still get really nice resources. And added to the income phase so we you know we have those rewards for holding six regions we have a little reward and it's a compensation really consolation um, if you hold zero to two regions and this was most of our rubber banding in the game there is more rubber banding but this is the biggest rubber banding in the game if you've been attacked to the point where you only hold two or one region only circadians can have zero because they can hide everyone on their ship um then you get some stuff you get three energy you get a card it feels good and and then this naturally becomes something that you can game as well you could actually move all of your guys off uh that start on these two different regions move them together attack someone and you know you will only have two regions uh so it's something you can game but it is it is mostly rubber banding so it felt like we had solved this harvest issue um players were still rewarded for holding regions but harvest wasn't as snowbally as it could be so let's move down yeah. to recruit recruit is is, is a very self-explanatory yeah it's a very simple <laughs> action you want to have this in a game like this adding more fighters troops to to your army and we added our twist to it though yeah we did we did so players have a certain number of recruit points um and these recruit points they can move their recruits on their player board now most factions four of the six factions have two sectors and so on their player board there's one on the left there's one on the right and basically you move from one step from the left to the right is one recruit point and then from the right to your base to deploy them onto the map is a second recruit point and this was this was basically inspired by Gaia Project or Terra Mystica the way that the power bowls work really um, it's just disguised because it's in a line uh, but it's this idea of moving and cycling stuff around what that allows us to do is we can give players more and more recruit points without every single recruit point resulting in fighters on the map so this is another way of like i guess it's rubber banding it's a sort of way of slowing down people's uh recruit ramp because if you're at six recruit points and i'm at two if you're adding six fighters and i'm only adding two that's a problem but if i'm adding two and you're adding four for your six recruit points then that's good um so naturally what you want to do is you you place out your your fighters that start in the right sector first so players have a certain number and this is actually different for each faction in the rightmost sector and this is a, a way we could balance the game um they'll place them out to their base first they'll spend their early recruit points on that and then they've got to do the hard yards getting recruits out um for, for two yeah recruits and I, them out. but there is another way think, exactly. yeah. yeah a thing we added to make it more dynamic though because if it was just that if it was just people being wounded and then having to move them through the sectors interesting but also i would say a little bit boring at the same time because it's always the same thing so what you can do is if you are rich or if you want to invest your money into this you can move your soldiers from the left-hand sector instead of moving them twice with two recruitment points. You can spend one recruitment point and one energy, and it allows you to send them straight to base. So really, it's another way to um, when you when you're rich to be able to invest that and make it turn into something that's going to help you on the map. Yeah. Because obviously, what happens on the map is really the key generally for most factions it's, it's the thing that decides whether they're going to win the game or not 
So the riches that you, that, you, that you have need to somehow be able to be spent to help you on the map. So that's through getting cards, gems, and the energy you can, be, you can use to get leaders, to upgrade leaders, but also to fast track your units. So, for example, as, as um, Sam was saying, you know, maybe you've got five recruitment points. Now, usually that would get you two or three um, units on the map, you know, if, if you're having to move them all from the left sector. Or you can spend five energy and get five units out, which is huge. Like, it's a massive power boost. Yeah. But five energy is also quite expensive. You could get out a leader for five energy. So it gives another decision point, you know. It gives that way to invest money. If you're rich, you can also... Another thing it does, which I think is really important, it gives the possibility to not boost the recruit track. Because as we said, we wanted every track to be viable. Now that means it needs to be viable also to stay at the bottom, at, at, the, at the first point on the track where you start. With like a trade Not boosting right? the track at yeah. all. That has to be viable. So the thing is with recruits is the, the first, the first um, section on the track just gives you two recruit points. And that's not much. But if you get two every round and you manage to keep your units alive, um, it might be enough for you in the game. Another thing that you can do to balance out that recruit track thing is the harvest tokens, the special ones we were talking about. There's the option to get recruit points on one of those. So we wanted to make ways um, that you can play around it so you don't have to boost the track. Um, otherwise, recruit is so vital that if we didn't have that, it would have been one of those tracks that you have to boost, otherwise you're going to lose the game. Um, so once we came up with that system, it just seemed to work, and we're really happy with with where it is. Now there are a few factions to mention. One is AI; they only have one sector, which is just lovely, and and because of that just innate thing on their board, most of their attributes are sort of like slowing them down, <laughs> and so their attributes are a little bit different. Like some of them are powers, but most of them are sort of ways to slow them down and when they flip them they're removing the negative rather than gaining another positive uh, because of that innate thing just being so so good and then yeah, we've got it's so strong yeah we've got the we've seen some new players struggle with it we've seen some new players struggle with it because they don't realize how innately powerful it is um not having to go two steps with the recruit um but it is actually so powerful and it and, and we've balanced it and maybe it seems like, oh man, why why don't I have powers as AI? Like at the beginning, why don't I have powers? You don't need them. <laughs> you don't need them. Yeah. When you start getting powers, it's just it's crazy yeah. scary. Yeah, and so circadians they have three sectors, so they've got to go through a lot of training to get their fighters out. But they want to because their fighters are double strength initially. They can get to triple. But yeah, so that's recruit. Um, the other thing you can do in recruit is the auxiliary action to recruit a leader. We're going to talk about leaders another time. We're just going to move on, but leaders are cool, and we'll talk about them later. So the final action, the fifth action of the pricing actions, is move. And move is a different beast in the pricing phase because I think you've already explained it, Zach. There are, there are two slots. So you can pick if you want to move first or if you want to move last. This was something that we landed on, I think, pretty early um so it not only do you want to price move and say yes i want to move for free but you get to decide when you when you want to do that moving first is about taking the initiative it's about getting out to that spot you want to get to and not getting blocked and you also have the potential to block others with moving uh you can move any number of units from one region to an adjacent region for one move point and where you are on the track is going to tell you how many move points you've got to spend. There is uh, a pinning rule, which um, I think was basically the same as how it works in Eclipse. So there was a bit of inspiration there um, where the number of units that you've got in a region, the, uh, with, with someone else's units, you're both pinned by the higher value. So if I've got three units in a region with Zach, who has four, re four units, I'm pinned for four units. I can't move anything out. He can move one out because then I've got three pinning him. 
so that's a way for moving first to uh, have a little bit more of a buff um, otherwise moving last where you could always respond and you can move through everything would be too strong uh, but yeah it's also a way to um strategically set up the map because if you like if you're gradually moving out maybe all your inner regions are just buildings and they're undefended if people could just run through your big army and go and destroy your base you're going to get pretty upset so the pinning thing allows you to kind of place your armies in strategic spots which protects maybe some of your other buildings or units or yeah etc yeah totally so there's like this kind of strategic um considerations with moving uh, obviously move last is is just good because you can see where everyone has gone and you get to respond but sometimes you're you're like you're mad at yourself for pricing move last when you just get pinned and you realize ah i had this massive army sitting here and someone didn't want to let that move or someone wanted to to win that fight there and get the benefit from them you know and and then you've got fewer units that you can actually move because those ones that you're planning to move have been pinned yeah i would say move is like it's the only action where it's it almost feels like you need to do it every every round although i've seen many games where like for one round it wasn't viable for one player it just didn't really give them anything and and so they skipped it and did really well um but generally it's it's like the one action that you want to be able to pay for so you always like it's the last action so you're like i need to make sure i've got that much energy left to be able to pay for it um but it it is in a way the most important action but at the same time once again with the research it is viable just leaving it at the base level of two movement points and playing the game sam uh the last game of circadians he played he told me that he won the game and he only had two movement points so he he didn't upgrade his move so it is viable it's possible but it's also super good to have six movement points which is the max on the track yeah um yeah, and then the auxiliary action is to upgrade your leaders. So that's really nice, the timing, because there's recruit where you can recruit the leader as the auxiliary action. You, you, you do your units for the main action and then recruit leader for the auxiliary action. And then there's move and upgrade leader. So that, that gives that comboing that if, you, if you're really rich, you can recruit a certain leader and upgrade that leader in the same round. Um, and it's also nice because you move... And then you look at the, you maybe look at a battle where you put your leader in and you're like, and I'm upgrading that leader. So yeah. the person's like, oh crap. Yeah. A another way that we put a little bit of um, rubber banding or just slowing down of the leader was that if someone has recruited a whole bunch of troops and maybe someone else um, decided, I'm not going to recruit because you priced it too high. Uh, instead, I'm going to spend that energy that I would have spent on recruit to flip my leader, upgrade my leader. Well, when you recruit, you recruit to base. You don't recruit to any of the regions on the map. You recruit to base. And so there's a there's a cost. And the cost is one movement point at least to move those troops out to make them combat ready. Uh, so, you know, if you've got two movement points and you just recruited eight troops, well, then one of your movement points is getting those troops off base and you've only got one left, you know? So, so that's another kind of way that they, they feed into each other, the recruit and move. Um, they, they sort of need each other, you know? Yeah. Um, Whereas if you upgrade your leader, it's, it's a leader that's maybe already about to fight a battle and he's already on the map and you've given him two or three extra strength. It's like recruiting two or three extra units right there. Yes. Um, yeah. And there are some cool lines with some factions where you just ignore recruit in the first round and you just go move last or even move first and you spend all that energy on on upgrading that initial leader you pick that leader knowing that you're going to flip them in the first round and boom you su surprise someone on that relic i mean th there's some cool lines um and and you mentioned not moving there's there's a there's a cool line with circadians where they only start with two regions every other faction starts with three uh because the circadians base is a ship so it's not a region uh, so you just if, if you're not going to get attacked you just don't move in the first round and you get that 
poverty, that three energy, that extra card income. And that's quite nice, as well as not paying for the move action. So not only are you gaining that three energy, but you're actually saving four or five energy. Move tends to be that action that because everyone wants to do it, as you've explained, people just chuck their higher pricing tokens on it. They they, they make it expensive for you. So yeah, that, that's one of the, the, the cool things you can do there. Um, so we're, oh, we're pretty much I, running out of time. So Yeah, I think we can wrap up for here and uh, next time we'll talk about the combat and maybe the asymmetry if we have time yeah i think we can go into the combat i think we've got a lot to say about combat next time so we'll do that so zach i want to know one sentence a little piece of advice that you would give to new players maybe maybe even to me about playing circadian's chaos order the the combo of uh discovering once and discover and then discovering something else can be very strong in the long run mm. so discovering once and discover gaining a gem and spending the gem and your starting gem to do the auxiliary action of an extra research it can be very strong in the long run that round maybe it doesn't feel strong I but think it, we had it adds about up. three sentences there but you know it was good <laughs> it was good good advice uh i'm just gonna say avoid gem locks at your peril <laughs> there we go thank you so much for watching thanks everyone bye